Welcome to Machine Learning. This has been a uh, real interesting week um, as far as uh, setting up some neural nets. The one I was looking at this week is uh, long short-term memory and uh, its setup was basically what it does is it solves a a problem with the stochastic descent and increasing numbers of um, nodes and connections so as you increase the nodes and connections on your network um, it has a it takes a longer amount of time to do the training so if you had a if you had a um, architecture that could have three gates on it then you might be able to uh, be more efficient so the three gates that LSTM has is uh, input flow output flow and forget gate those are the three gates um, so the input flow is information that's coming into the cell state and the output flow is information that is going out of the cell state and then the forget um, flow is from the previous cell state into the current cell state so that's the architecture and uh, and then when you set up your LSTM it's a lot like setting up a dense network um, you first set up your sequential and then you uh, set up your LSTM uh, layer and your hidden layer and then um, you, you uh, um, and then you finally have your dense layer as an output and uh, in the case what I was working I'm looking at the fraud detection uh, samples and they were based off the European credit card and it was real interesting is you could put them in a Tensi um, map redu reducer and so what it does Tensi does is it's uh, it takes multiple dimensions and reduces it down into two dimensions, so it kind of smashes it, projects it uh, onto a two-dimensional plane. And you can see that um, you can see the your the fraud cases, and they're very small. There's like a, less than one percent are, are fraudulent transactions. But uh, when I was looking at uh, some of the other examples that people have done when they were you know trying to do fraud detection some of them use uh, k-nearest algorithms and I can see why k-nearest was used because uh, when if you take a histogram and you run the histogram against the feature and then you do the uh, feature distribution for each one of the I think there was like 24 features. If you run a histogram against that, 
each one of the features, you can see that some of the fraud occurred at a certain time. There was some clustering of events. So time seemed to be one consistent element. And uh, so by, you know, by associating one fraudulent event after another in a certain time span, the K nearest seemed to work pretty well. But um, the what I wanted to see is how well logistic regression did with classifying the fraud. And, and uh, when I ran it, it uh, detected it was pretty it was pretty good accuracy. But it detected about ninety out uh, of fifty six thousand. I think it detected ninety five transactions that were fraudulent. Predicted that. Um, Oh, excuse me. It was twenty, so it was a pretty pretty small number. But you know, uh, uh, that you could do your distribution on how much each one was, and uh, so I'm not saying that it was an insignificant amount, um, but uh, it it predicted twenty, and then I put it in Keras. I trained it using uh, binary uh, entropy, cross entropy, and uh, I think I used the atom optimizer, and it predicted 95 between 120 and 95. So I was like wondering, you know, if the neural net picked up more features than the logistic regression. And so I was reading this article about how logistic regression could uh, be improved statistically by oversampling. So, you know, if, you, if you're confident that the curve distribution is, is uh, pretty close to normal, uh, then you can randomly perturb the existing information and generate more data for the network to train on. And uh, in the case, what I saw is that um, and, and this per, uh, perturbing, or, uh, perturbing is, uh, follows a Bernoulli distribution curve. So, you know, that goes back to your original uh, training on statistics. So you're, you're flipping heads and tails. But since if you can get a distribution curve that is fairly predictable. You can simulate, and uh, you can learn through simulation, and that and that's that's what uh, the ultimate in statistics is: is to be able to learn through simulation, and so that you can get a highly uh, accurate models with very little data. And I think the human brain kind of does that too. Is that uh, once we find things that we are very familiar with and we, we uh, uh, work through almost every angle on, the, on that aspect. And so it's very, very predictable. But uh, they, he, in this uh, case, he, he demonstrated that he could improve efficiency of the logistic regression algorithm. And then, and then there was a lot of... Uh, on the neural net, they did a lot of cross-validation and uh, precision and loss and recall 
So they're doing a lot of the factors to prove that, you know, that there was confidence that if you release this neural net into production, it would perform pretty well. And those are some of the things that I was going to add to my LSTM uh, to check. When I trained it, the LSTM trained really high. It was, it was uh, you know, in the 90 percentile. But then when I actually fed it some data to see how it would do on the test after I split the data, it didn't, it didn't seem to um, identify any fraud events. And so uh, I'm going to have to research more into why the LSTM wasn't predicting it. It could have been my thresholds that uh, I don't understand the output that the, the LSTM is producing to the dense layer. But it, what I did is I had, at each one of the LSTM layers, I had the sigmoid function. I didn't have an RELU. I had a sigmoid. And I saw in some cases that uh, uh, they used a tangent H. So um, it could be I have the wrong activation function on my layer. So I'll have to look into that, try to get a better understanding of it. And I'll let you know next week what I discovered. But the what I'm kind of wondering is, is like, so in this case here where I had, uh, I think, 30 features that I was, you know, looking at. Um, if I was looking at 400 features like Amazon looks at for its fraud detection, how would the logistic regression perform with those higher number of features versus, uh, you know, the deep learning network versus the LSTM? And the LSTM has its place too because it has kind of a feed, you know, that feedback. Uh, it it figures out what to ignore and and uh, and so it has that forget capability. And so it's it works kind of like a reoccurring neural net, where uh, if you take a set of inputs, that you can predict what was going to happen next. So one one uh, node feeds into the next, and that was good for predicting uh, sentence completion. Like what would be the next word in the sentence? You see that with some of uh, Google's probability when you're doing typing, you put in so many words, and then it predicts what will be the next uh, possible word outcome based on. Uh, existing uh, previous searches and so it, it, it can learn it can learn uh, the reoccurring network can learn what would be most likely be the next word that would come in the, in the sentence and uh, I see some value in the reoccurring neural net I'm thinking about uh, using that to predict uh, pattern matches in uh, sentences and the reason I say that is one uh, if I was to um, try to identify similar sentences uh, I'm wondering how well the, the reoccurring neural net would do at identifying similar sentences now, now I know neural nets are really good at assemblies where they can find topics and they can group uh, data together by topic. 
but it would be interesting to see if I could get the neural net to predict um, similarity between sentences. And then you got you got a pretty good search algorithm that you're creating, uh, so you could create bags of words, and then you could compare uh, sentence similarity where. Uh, position of the words in the sentence matter because you don't want to say uh, the boy chased after the bear or he had the right to bear arms that those two sentences are equivalent they're not equivalent even though they have uh, some similar words so you want the, the, the neural net to be able to differentiate the difference between in the sentences. So that's an area I'm looking into. Um, right now I'm using Spacey to pull uh, just proper nouns and then I'm forming sequels, uh, form SQL queries with those words and then finding similar sentences based on the, you know, just based on word patterns that I find in the sentence. And, you know, that's going to work to some degree with some level of accuracy, but it'd be better really to have kind of a reoccurring neural net predict what sentences are similar and then retrieve those those uh, matches with similar sentences. And so in the, in the case where I'm looking is I'm looking to find where uh, a, a structure is one structure set of descriptions is similar to another structure similar uh, dis descriptions and uh, and then it will be able to cluster those together and then you, you can do analysis in business you this is actually a business case uh, where then you could then say well these uh, descriptions are very similar and its uh, price range is similar, therefore these group are grouped together. You could do this also with parts. You know, you could take uh, a list of part descriptions, and you want to look to find, you know, what parts are similar. Well, how would you do that now? You would do it by category, right? But uh, if you if you have millions of part descriptions. And then you've got all these categories, uh, and you're looking for a particular. You're looking for a particular type of part um, that may be similar. Then how? Then just looking by category might not be enough. You might have want to find uh, where things different parts are fairly similar and they might be in the same category or they might be in a different category depending on how many parts you have and uh, that was a problem uh, that I saw a long time ago when I was building an expert system was how do you identify parts you know you know did the part have some sort of DNA uh, characteristic that could be identified sort of 
search and it's pretty fast I mean you know you could you could let's say you had a million parts you could just cycle through the million parts and uh, just do your put everything all your descriptions in a in a bitmap uh, zero zeros and ones where you had certain certain segments that represent different traits on that part and so then with very little storage you could you could have a very descriptive encoding of that part and then when you wanted to do a search you would search uh, sequentially through your data and you would end that uh, with your search pattern so you could have one trait or more many traits and then you end it and if you got anything that's sub greater than a zero then uh, there was a hit and you would then say you know you found found a match so that that could be and it could be also true for a billion so let's say, you know, you had a billion parts. It just take longer to run. Uh, the way you would do a billion parts is you would partition off. Since you you have the data and the search is uh, deterministic, you could partition the data into different uh, machines, and then the machines could asynchronously read different blocks of data and then do the query and then return back the results of those queries and then funnel it up to um, a master process that would assemble the results. And so those are those are definite ways to uh, create high-performance high queries with large amounts of data in, in a kind of a, a rapid search pattern. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't have a, a tree structure, and it wouldn't make sense to do it as a tree structure. It'd have to be sequential, but it could be so, uh, queried in parallel, and that would allow you then to scale your searches. Uh, and the bit patterns could be very long too. You could have lots of gene expressions that you're searching against. And I imagine that you could also train the neural net to make predictions of where uh, the data could reside in what cluster. So maybe you, you have all different traits that you've put in your in your binary bit pattern and then uh, the neural net could group certain certain types of traits together and then it would then uh, make for faster searches at least for the initial agent to find that data so there's probably ways to optimize this searching by grouping data together and that's and, and that type of clustering is often used in, in servers where to improve efficiency, you put the data blocks in a cluster, the index in a cluster, and it makes the reading into memory faster. It doesn't have to do as many reads, and, it, and it's sequential, and it can search through those blocks quicker for uh, 
it's kind of interesting. You know, I don't. It, it, there's a there's a cost per transaction for those those fraud. Uh, you know, the, the thieves are getting some money, but there were, but one this costed the company a certain amount of money per transaction to process a, a fraudulent transaction, and so there's a cost associated to the company. Processing those transactions, and by implementing an algorithm that could detect a profile that looked fraudulent with a certain degree of accuracy, it could then stop those uh, transactions from being processed and save the company money. So, and also, uh, you know, reduce the incentive for attempting to steal information and steal uh, money. So reduce those those uh, incentives and reduce the amount of crime that's occurring. And if you look at each day, like say PayPal, it transacts 78 million transactions a day. That's a lot of transactions. And uh, if you're processing that many transactions and you have even 1%, that's a huge number of fraud cases. And so uh, you, you probably, if, if, they're, if they're not getting detected and they're getting processed through and then later on it's discovered that it's fraudulent, then you, you, all, you want to start analyzing why your initial detection systems failed. So you have systems that are analyzing why the system failed and then providing uh, forensic feedback to management as to why uh, the neural nets and the K-nearest algorithms and the rule-based searches are not detecting these transactions as fraudulent. And you can also say, uh, one other thing I was looking at, started to review, and I'm, I'll probably finish this week, is I started a course of data camp on uh, image recognition, and it kind of uh, caught my attention. Like, so with medical imaging, they store the data in a form called uh, uh, what is it called? I can't remember the name, but uh, it's a, a, a a type of vectorized imaging and they're fairly large in size uh, but you can be, you can segment and classify different types of diseases or things in the body through the neural net so right now the way it works is you take an x-ray or MRI and then you have an expert look at it they'll find the different anomalies and then the doctor will come in and tell you you know what they they found if they found cancer or they found a you know, fracture in the bone etc but it's interesting you know because those MRIs and CAT scans they, they're so expensive they cost thousands of dollars three thousand dollars for a CAT scan uh, and if there were a way to uh, in, 
increase the number of scans health-wise for early detection, I think people would do it as long as you had the ability to analyze the, the images quickly. And he stated that there is uh, 3.5 billion terabytes of medical imaging. So, this, you know, and, and there's a shortage of individuals capable of analyzing those images. So there's a real strong need for having smart networks that can pre-screen the images and identify uh, cancer or identify uh, artery blo arterial blockage or bacterial growth or a cyst or a bone fracture and uh, and it could run through specialized networks that are trained on different types of, of images and it could segment that image up and classify it and then present that to the to the doctor and the doctor then could uh, confirm or or reject the the segmentation and classification. So, good idea, good market. See some potential there. Um, I did read this one article where a woman uh, from MIT, forget her name, but she uh, she was working on identifying these kind of microstructures in the cell and. The neural net did really well at identifying these microstructures in the cell, and so she was able to form a business. And some of these microstructures were associated with certain types of disease. I think maybe one of them was Huntington's or Parkinson's disease. So maybe you could have, uh, you know, a relatively cheap scan, maybe some way to take either urine or, or blood and analyze it at the cellular level through um, low-cost device and then feed that to the cloud and an image in the cloud and then let the cloud classify and, and segmentize the image and then provide a feedback to you. And if this, if this process got efficient enough you would have a pre-diagnostic of what was potentially going wrong with you so you don't have to wait till you're in stage four cancer to know that you have a problem you could have early detection of tumors you could have early detection of cancer and it, and you know it might even uh, if you could replace mammograms that would be fantastic But the health health is expensive to health prevention is expensive and or almost non-existent. <coughs> the healthcare costs are are just astronomical. I, I you know every time I think of a surgery procedure, it's like the cost of a house, and uh, you know it's the quickest way to personal bankruptcy is is uh, to have medical problems. So you have to have insurance today, and uh, insurance is expensive, and so if you had 
technology as an early detection, you might be able to stop uh, you know, cancer earlier. And you know, you have at 50, you have your colonoscopy, and you know they they find you know little cancerous pulps, and they they clear that out. They call it precancerous pulps, but you know those can easily turn into cancerous pulps, and you can get colon cancer, and you can get stomach cancer, you get breast cancer, bone cancer. You know, there's a lot of different cancers that are caused from the environment. You know, you have uh, any type of chemical introduction to your body, uh, it can it can cause it can cause uh, different type of cancers. So there's and then they uh, then once you get into the cancer problem, you have uh, in oncology you have different specialists that you have identify what type of cancer it is. If it's skin cancer, then you go to a skin cancer specialist. And so identification of the type of cancer becomes really critical too for your treatment. And this could also be something that the neural nets become very good at as identifying the types of cancer that are in the body based on their different traits. So that's something that uh, I'm looking forward to uh, learning some more about and, and uh, gaining some skill on and using different uh, neural net technologies I'm becoming aware with. The other one too that was kind of interesting this week is looking at uh, Deep Learn Racer by Amazon and it was based on uh, a reinforcement learning algorithm and what you do is it, it's a, a little racer you set up and, and it, have a, it has a track. And you program the machine with different policies. Um, so maybe one policy is that you want it to kind of hug the center line, uh, not go outside the bounds of the, the driving, but want to be able to do it fast enough that it can, or process it fast enough that it will uh, be quick around the track, but at the same time uh, accurate enough that it will leave the track and it will complete the lap. Anyway, Amazon kicked that off and then they, they decide, well, let's throw some money at it. So there's a, they had a prize, like a $1.5 million prize for the winner. And and uh, there are some really innovative approaches to getting that deep learning racer to, to move faster. And what I see a lot of it is going back to uh, some original work by Pomelamaru, where he, what he did is he detected the surface, what was the surface of a road. And he just used a 32 by 32 image processor so he was getting 32 by 32 pixels and he was feeding that to a neural net and the neural net uh, was detecting what looked like a flat surface and what looked like uh, a road and then it was able to travel at 70 miles an hour from coast to coast driving on a road and with only a few occasional interventions with uh, human driver taking over. 
and that was in the 1980s, 90s. And they, they are, you know, it really is amazing considering, you know, the, well, the computational power of a Tesla's FSD chip compared to a small neural net that was able to do amazing tasks. And, and so some of the more successful racers have uh, done edge detection and surface. And uh, and in this case, they're tr they will train it on supervised learning where they, they show it the track and they give policies and then the machine is able to train and learn the track. And where it's interesting is where they take the reinforcement learning algorithm and they give it new track uh, layouts and see how well it performs. And sometimes it does pretty good, you know. It's moving pretty fast and around that track. And uh, um, I'm not sure what the user is doing because you, you see the user doing something but she's not controlling the RC, but she may be controlling the velocity that it's moving. So uh, the neural net or the reinforcement learning algorithm is controlling left and right of the steering based on its vision. And the user is controlling the velocity so she can win the, win the race. So that, that's deep learn racer. I, I thought that was kind of interesting this week to read about. Well, uh, it's been kind of an exciting week as far as deep learning is concerned. I learned a little bit about LSTM. Um, again, you know, analyzing logistic regression and and Keras deep learning networks, and then thinking about how to um, projects that could be kind of interesting that might be useful to business. One that I keep thinking about is trying to solve the tic-tac-toe using uh, game using uh, reinforcement learning and then you know learn how to set up the RL, how to feed it inputs, how to change the states so I could I think the states could be pretty easy because what I could do is um, feed them into uh, a, a array and then uh, I could have the RL ingest the array and so it would move through all the different states where the RL was maybe X and the, and the uh, program was O and so program would have to select what is the next state, and so it it uh, uh, it would have to have all the possible states in its memory, and then each state would have to point to the next state. So, if you started off with X in the center, then O would be put uh, in one of the boxes. And then, depending on where the RL put the X, it would have to be an, obviously be an available slot. Then the program 
would then look at the existing state to see what the next state is going to be for the O, and it then would feed that uh, feed that configuration into the RL. So you're just moving from state to state, and then you could once you have that trained and it did really well then you could expand that out to Chinese checkers. I think that would be kind of interesting because Chinese checkers also has some simple rules uh, like how you can do different jumping. So if in this case you wouldn't have a pointer to the next state but you would have different rules that it could follow. So it might randomly start and put a, a marble down well, make a, uh, you'd roll your dice so you have a, a random element there for your dice roll and then you can move your your marbles out and then as you get uh, if you're moving towards a certain location then there's a reward for the to get to the one side and so you could have RL played against RL, and you could just have a set of rules that apply to uh, to the to the game, and the RL then would have certain policies set up, which would be uh, objectives to get to a target location. then you could uh, apply that to chess and the go. So there's a, kind of this logical procession or a logical set of games that you'd want to master using RL. And, and I think I could do all of them. Um, and there might be some easier approaches to teaching the machine the game. There, you know, you could feed the different rules. So, since the rules can be easily programmed, and you could have different algorithms in Python that check to see if the rule applies, then you could have a rule engine that's uh, controlling the game training for the RL algorithm, and, and then you could see how the RL learns over time so it can run lots of different trials and then get smarter um, at that and so it's kind of interesting if uh, you could get that to work then you'd look at uh, uh, the reinforcement learning how it could it's uh, being applied for Figuring out how to to effectively lay out different structures in architecture, so uh, efficient usage of space to increase foot foot traffic. Uh, you know, you can do RL analysis that way, or you can do um, RL analysis for measuring traffic flow and how to you know create the designs for optimizing traffic flow 
So a lot of things in architecture that reinforcement learning could be applied to that might be useful. That's something I'm going to research and see how they're, they're doing that. And then uh, uh, reinforcement learning for war plan strategy, uh, where to move your troops, what would be efficient uh, in terms of almost like a game of risk. So if you had an RL algorithm, how well would it do in games of, of uh, strategy? And so reinforcement learning is, seems like it's the next generation because it just, uh, it learns unsupervised. It, it ha it's subject to, you know, different rules. It discovers the rules. And so the system doesn't change. You could have a system where an RL is introduced that has lots of very complex rules, like in the case of taxes. And, uh, and then it might, uh, given certain rewards and punishments for finding optimal paths through these different rules or systems and that that would then uh, produce you know uh, good strategies 